Butch, we've been talking about how our beliefs shape our behaviors. And inevitably, the conversation then leads to how our behaviors interact with other people. Yeah. And I think that's kind of how we boiled down politics in that last episode where we were talking about faith informing politics. Yeah. And then you said, hey, Luke, I know someone that needs to come in and talk to us about this. And so, Butch, I'm pretty excited because this is our first guest, but specifically one that you you have uh, said, this is the guy we need to talk to. Who, yeah. have, you, who have you brought to us today? <laughs> I have brought my friend Bob Gorman to us and I'm going to let Bob be the one that tells more about himself but I call him a friend because especially over the last year I'd say he and I have have become pretty good friends we share uh, things that we're reading and and uh, and try to encourage each other as as we advance in age and uh, you always need uh, some fellow travelers right Mm-hmm. And so I, I consider Bob a fellow traveler, and he's a seeker. He's someone that uh, can articulate that, and uh, that's one of the reasons I've wanted him to come on, and particularly regarding politics, because he's got a very unique background, and we'll let him get into that. But Bob, I want to say welcome, first of all, to the Finding Common ground podcast and uh we're, we're happy to have you here today well, thank you butch and thank you luke it's, yeah. it's fun to be here yeah i want to just start out by letting you kind of tell us a little bit about yourself um i know you know i could probably hit some bullet points on that because uh, you and i know each other fairly well but i'm sure i'm going to find out some things about you today that i didn't know but kind of take us back to where you grew up and tell us about your mom and dad and 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 have siblings and uh where you went to school and and just kind of take us back to bob as a uh, bob's childhood i consider myself a uh New Jersey native, even though I never lived a day in New Jersey. And that's because <laughs> my parents both grew up in South Jersey. Okay. And it just sounds cooler than Holmes County. <laughs> there you go. It? Oh, there <laughs> you go. <laughs> All my cousins, virtually every cousin I have uh, is in New Jersey. Okay. Um, my uh, dad uh, caught the end of World War II. He was a medic. He arrived in, uh, in Europe on his 19th birthday, November wow. 3rd, 1944. And uh, as a result of that, he was able to go to college. He was the first person in his family to go to college on the GI Bill. Wow. Went to St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. Okay. Uh, a few they had a good basketball team yeah, a few yeah. years ago. Till the, till the day he died. Yeah. He'd, he'd watch the Hawks when yeah. he could get them What's the name on. of the good coach over there? Uh, Phil Martelli. Martelli, okay. okay. Yep. All yeah. right. Jameer Nelson played there. Jameer they? Nelson yeah. did. Delonte okay. West. Yeah. Oh, they got, yeah. yeah. They, they got to the Final Four that year? They came one game short. Okay. I think Oklahoma State beat them. Okay. But okay. Bob is a – and it comes to sports – he has a steel trap memory. Oh, he's the encyclopedia. <laughs> yes, he is. I, I, I could tell you who won the World Series in the 1960s and 70s, but I couldn't tell you who won last year. That's my problem. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, so my, my mom and dad uh, met each other in their late 20s, um, got married, had started having kids. And my dad worked for a company called Owens, Illinois. Okay. Um, and he was transferred to the Chicago area, and I remember hearing the story, this is before I was born, that my mom's relatives thought he must have done something bad to be banished out of New Jersey. Yeah. But uh, he was promoted within the company and was was transferred to St. Charles, Illinois, outside of Chicago. I was born in Elgin, Illinois. Okay. And uh, spent my first six years in Bartlett, Illinois. Okay. And uh, at that time, the company decided they wanted to build a new plant, new factory, and their parameters were east of the Mississippi River and north of the Mason-Dixon line. Okay. And they somehow wound up in Berlin, Ohio. All right, Berlin. Okay. So that's how I wound up in Holmes County. So how old would you have been? I was six. Oh, you were six? You had already started to school? I was in first grade. Okay. Met my wife about a week after we moved to Millersburg, Ohio. And she grew up in Holmes County. She did. So if they hadn't picked that point on the map, I wouldn't have met my wife, wouldn't have had the kids that I have. It's it's kind of amazing when you think about it. Yeah. 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 Um, So I grew up in in Millersburg, um, went to West Holmes, uh, had uh, two brothers 
and a sister. Okay. My, I was the third out of four. My sister's right. the oldest. Uh, Close-knit family. Um, my mom and dad were, I, I never saw them fight, which I always thought was great. It was a little bit of a challenge when I got to be an adult, though, because I thought, wow, I sometimes, I sometimes wind up in an argument with my wife. Is there something <laughs> wrong here? But I, but I realized that either my parents hit it pretty well, or maybe they just had a, a superior, uh, uh, a superior marriage. I'm but, sure they did. Yeah, they, yeah. they did. And they yeah. were great role models for, for yeah. all of us kids. Great. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, um, grew up in Millersburg, grew up in the, uh, early seventies were kind of my formative years, yeah. early to mid seventies. And that was about the time of Watergate. And, uh, I, I was really into the politics back then and into the journalism, um, the Woodward Bernstein, all that, all that stuff. And you stuff. were fairly young at that point. I was, well, well I, I, mean, was, I was like junior high. Yeah. So you this were attracted a, to that at a young age. Had a couple very influential junior high teachers who okay. I still keep in touch with. Who, who so you did well in your way. English classes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we, and my friend David Yackley and I, um, helped form, a school, a school newspaper in sixth grade. So okay. that was my beginnings of my <laughs> journalism awesome. career. Activist here, Butch. You better be careful. <laughs> there you go. That's awesome. And in uh, in seventh grade, had a a uh, wonderful social studies teacher who I connected with for the first time in forty some years last year. Still living then? Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I guess if they if you connected with them, they would still be there. But I last saw him at age, he was something like 28 or 29, okay. and he was 77 now. All right. Yeah. Went down to Columbus, had lunch with him. We've emailed. Um, That's a neat thing to be able to connect with people that had had an influence on you back, way back. And he did. He, he really pushed the envelope for Holmes County. He came into Holmes County, and we'd have like a little mini UN covering the Asian African nations, and I was the representative from Saudi Arabia That's and my, awesome. my friend was the representative from Israel and and we'd argue resolutions and do all those things and and uh, really kind of helped open open my eyes yeah. a lot um, and you wouldn't think a kid growing up in Holmes County would have had those opportunities you're right you're right and it, it really was impactful um, so I'm really I'm really grateful f to him and grateful for that opportunity. Dick Dick Skelly was his name. Dick Skelly. Yeah. It's always good to give a shout out. To That's him. right. Shout yeah. out yeah. to Dick Skelly. We might not know him, but we sure do care. Yeah. yeah. And to, to Dave Finley, who still lives in Lakeville, and Dave's become a friend. And okay. Dave helped put Dick and me together. All right. Um, and he was a huge influence. That's for great. Me too. I mean, teachers are huge, and and you know, Luke mentioned some teachers back uh, when we when he told his story, and I. I did the same thing, uh, so it's it's wonderful to think back on uh, influential teachers. When we were talking to you on Friday to kind of do a little prep work here, it we found out that your dad and Luke's grandpa <laughs> worked in the same place. Yeah, worked at Owens, Illinois together. Yeah. And uh, Larry and Anna Mae Martin, oh, they were the sweetest people. They were. Yeah. And, well, but they were West Holmes people, not East yeah. Holmes. Well, Let's and I was a West Holmes person, okay. too. All right. I, I just wanted want to get that out there, Bob. I didn't want to hide anything from it. <laughs> the factory was in, was actually, would in be Berlin. in East, and that would be considered East Holmes. Correct. Yeah. 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 I, I remember my, we were all sports fans in our family, and my dad had a good sense of humor. And back then, and still, I guess, but... West Holmes and Highland had a big basketball rivalry. Yeah. West Holmes usually prevailed in those days. One year, Highland won. And so um, his fellow workers, most of whom were from Highland School District, came in and really kind of razzed him and said, well, we should declare a holiday because uh, <laughs> Highland beat West Holmes. And, and my dad told us that his response was, well, I guess we can afford to have a special holiday once every 10 years or so. Yeah. <laughs> That's great. So, so tell me a little bit about, and one of the things that you and I talk about a lot when, when we're together is, is our faith. And um, you grew up Catholic. And it wasn't a, you're not it wasn't in a nominal Catholic family. No, very Catholic family. Um, still is and i'm still catholic um faith is very important and my catholicism is, is very important to me and um influenced the way i grew up and i think the way my wife and i raised our our children um my dad uh was always a seeker and uh, in his 50s 
probably mid fifties was the first time that the, the, uh, Catholic Church in the United States had decided to open the door again to, to deacons, okay. permanent deacons. And so my dad... Um, uh, was that after 68? What was the, this what was the, uh, the, the big document that came out in oh, the 60s? Well, Vatican II. Vatican II, yeah. Yes, it was after Vatican II. Okay. And it was about in the... It would have been about... Um, it would have been about 1980 or so that okay. he that he began a, a four year program where he'd spend I think a weekend a month in Columbus studying to become a deacon and he was ordained. All right. Um, in about I'm going to say 1985, about when he turned 60, and he retired shortly after that from business, 35 years at, at Owens, Illinois, and focused the last 20 or so really active years of his life on on the diaconate on yeah. being a deacon yeah and his focus was primarily working with um working in nursing homes okay visiting people but he would often do services and he would preach from time to time and and uh you know he couldn't say a mass right but he could right. he could baptize and, okay and and um he could do you know he could do things things like that participate in some of the sacraments and um so um and he till till the day he died at ninety three he was he was managing to um i would say um keep the faith well that's awesome and that's uh, an example to you i'm sure oh very much so yeah. very much so, so. was the parish in millersburg the was, parish was in millersburg st okay. peter's all right and it had a little satellite parish in glenmont st peter and paul okay hmm. And then, at, but a few years after his retirement, he moved up to the Cleveland area and served at some a couple of parishes up in up in Cleveland. Okay. Um, and then, you know, late in his life, um, my mom passed away about five years before he did, and he was in an assisted living facility, Smithville Western, actually, okay. Wayne Manor, and he would he would lead some services there even, um, yeah. and. Uh, but he told me his goal was every day to make somebody smile. And, That's awesome. Uh, and I mean, uh, what a great goal that is. Well, and I, you know, one of the most influential weeks of my entire life was the last week he was living. He fell and he broke his hip, and he was in hospice care. And um, he knew he was going to go. Um, he his heart would not permit him to have a surgery. Yeah. And I was with him in the emergency room when they told him he had broken his hip. And I remember his hands flew up to his face and in surprise, he was, he was very surprised. But, uh, he, he, when the doctor left, he said, well, I guess I'll be able to identify more with Christ's sufferings. Wow. That was, that was his first thought in wow. his head. I was, I'm encouraged just by hearing that. Well, and the other thing that just really, uh, was unforgettable to me was that last week he was in hospice. Um, so, so many staff people from the facility he lived at came out to visit him and, um, the, the residents really couldn't get out. Maybe yeah. one or two of them did, but the staff people came out on their own time and they would sit with him, um, both while he was conscious and in the last few days, not conscious and tell us what a difference he made wow. for them. You, mm -hmm. you know, when you, when you say that, it just, it brings to mind, I think a very simple truth. You give love, you're going to receive love. I agree. I agree. And from the way you're describing him, he gave out his aim was to share the love of Christ every single day in the most simple way. And then it came back to him as he's waiting to 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 pass on. And so that just that just brings that truth home, does he, it not? He, it does. He loved to write simple poetry. And and uh, and I remember one young woman aide in particular who was probably not more than twenty one or twenty two, and uh, looking at her, you wouldn't think she had nothing in common with my dad. She had, I'm going to say, six earrings or studs on her, her eyebrows <laughs> and all over the place. She had heavy, heavy makeup. She came in and she sat there and and she held my dad's hand and and she just cried and she told us what a difference he made because she'd take her breaks and she would pour her heart out to him in his wow. room sitting in his chair. She wrote a poem and brought it back and, and, awesome? and read it to him. Hey, Luke, is that not an example of finding common ground right Absolutely. there? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that story is all about common ground. Right. Yeah. And your dad, he sought that out. He did. And so That's what a great awesome. influence he was my, yeah. my whole life, really. Yeah. And it made me realize 
uh, a lot at the end there because honestly, the last couple of years of his life, Walker, Oxygen, Hard of Hearing, I would go visit and I'd feel like, wow, you know, here's here's a person who's widowed now, had devoted my yeah. mom for all those years, kind of a, a, a lonesome existence and, and not doing much. And all of a sudden it hit me like a ton of bricks. He was doing a lot that you yeah. didn't see. I right? mean, he was right. pushing through it. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So you're, you mentioned your wife earlier and, mm-hmm. and her name is Kathy. Kathy, that's right. Um, did you guys meet? Was, we, she, was she Catholic She as was well? Catholic okay. also. We all met right. in first grade. Uh, I like to tell the story, which she denies, but I remember it, that she told me that she, she loved me on the playground in second grade. <laughs> you don't forget those things. But, um, but, uh, but we were close friends. Okay. Uh, we, all the way through school? All the way through school. Uh, tried dating a couple of times, and it kind of blew up. Okay. Didn't, didn't seem to work when we dated, but we were very close friends. And, you know came around all the way back after we got out of college, went to different colleges that we finally synced up from a, uh, you know, from a partner standpoint. Yeah. And, but she was always one of my probably two closest friends. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, and then you guys, I mean, I can know just being around you and hear you talk. I know you always talk very fondly of her and, and uh, what a wonderful, how fortunate, you you are well, i am and i know luke as a young guy he's because he said it too to have a companion to journey through life with well kathy's the the rock of the family she really is and um she made a lot of sacrifices she was a school teacher okay um, uh, and um but she stayed home when we when our kids were were young for many years and kind of slowly went back she was a library volunteer and then she was a kindergarten aid and then she went back full-time and taught uh taught her last several years at saint mary's school here in worcester um but um we get a we're we're very blessed very lucky with we have three uh, children um and they've been um they've been academically successful they're good kids um and i always say well the credit goes to their mom on that and people think that i'm being you know, oh, you know, kind of modest about it, but it's really the truth. I give Donna all the credit for the way our kids turned out. <laughs> I mean, out. she, she was there. No she, she was, she was loving them, reading to them, yeah. holding them all, you know, every day. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I would come home, I would work and I'd come home and I would do everything I could, but the form, the formation of those kids yeah. is a real reflection. And just kind of tell, tell us real quick where, uh, the, your kids' sure. names and sure. where they're at and what they're doing. And then I want to get back to, I want to talk about Notre Dame. Okay. You know, that's where <laughs> well, you went to school. Back. And, that's right. And I, I've got a, I've got a kind of an affinity towards Notre Dame for some reason, but. Well, that's good. Yeah. yeah. So I want to talk about okay. that. And then. Well, my kids, my, my, have, we have three kids, oldest, Joseph, 28 years old. He went to Fordham in Fordham University in New it's York. A Catholic school Catholic as well. Catholic school, Jesuit school. Yeah. And, uh, Loved New York from the moment he set foot okay. in it. Never left. And uh, he works in finance in New York. He, right. he currently lives in an apartment about a, a city block from Madison Square Garden. Okay. He can he can walk to work uh, at his office near near Times Square. Uh, he has a very nice young lady friend, Vicky. Um, and then uh, our middle child is our daughter, Mary Grace. Okay. And uh, Mary Grace is married to a young fellow named... Tomek and Tomek grew up in Poland. Okay, um, and uh, they met in college. They went to Washington University in St. Louis. Is that a school, a Catholic school? That as is well? not. Okay, that I didn't not. know if that was. Right. Um, but but you know it's funny because um, she was heavily heavily involved in the in the Catholic student center. Okay, there and remains. Um, she she as a side gig is uh, she does work for a. A Catholic website called Fem Catholic, which works on feminist yeah. Catholic All issues, right. okay, and uh, I think is holds her faith pretty pretty close. That's great. Um, she's finishing her master's degree in um, social work at Loyola University, okay. another, another Catholic yeah. school, and um, is uh, also working as kind of an academic coach for uh, kids, um, elementary, 
middle school, high school, helping them kind of develop the right kind of study skills. But she's her internship is as a family counselor. And that's what her career is going to be as a family counselor. All right. And she'll be very, very good at that. She's got she's she of all the people I know, she's probably the best at bringing people together and drawing them out. And and got a little bit of that from her grandpa. I th- oh, I think so, and, the, and I'm sure so. a lot of it from yeah. from uh, you guys. But, but you yeah, know, she that did. Sounds like your your father as well. So and and, and uh, her grandmother too. Okay, they, All right. they, they uh, I think she learned a lot from her too. Yeah. Uh, and then our youngest is John. John is in his first year at a PhD program at Loyal at the University of Wisconsin Madison. He Madison. graduated from Loyola, um, and he's in a. Um, pursuing a PhD in environmental chemistry. Okay. Wow. Working primarily with water projects. So, uh, so we're, we're very fortunate. Yeah, that's um, great. The kids have never, you know, never been anything but a real source of joy for us. And so we, yeah, we're very happy awesome. there. So when you, your college, you went to Notre Dame and Kathy went where? She went to Ohio Northern. Ohio Northern. But it is kind of funny how I wound up at Notre Dame. I mean, the, no one from, West Holmes had ever gone to Notre Dame. Okay. We did one person from Millersburg before West Holmes was ever uh, formed did in you know, 30 years or so prior. But Notre Dame really made my map because of a, of a friend of mine who was kind of a more of a jock than I was. Funny guy, kind of kind of the leader of the pack from a personality standpoint. And he loved Notre Dame. <laughs> and he would say to me, Gorman. I'm not smart enough to get into Notre Dame. He probably was smart enough, but you are, and you got to go to Notre Dame. He, he had all the Notre Dame regalia and jerseys yeah. and all that. And he didn't tell me this once. He told me this 101 times over a period of years. And so when the time came, Notre Dame made my list and I went out and kind of fell in love with the place. Yeah. And, and that's how I wound up at Notre Dame. It's a great campus. Yeah. I mean, you can walk. It's, it's not that big no. uh, in terms of the, 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 uh, uh, the campus itself. You can walk everywhere. And, yep. uh, you know, the football stadium, Touchdown Jesus, oh, yeah. the Catholic Church that's there. I mean, I feel I, I almost feel Catholic when I walk <laughs> on that campus. It's like I'm ready to convert right, <laughs> right, right there. <laughs> it's it's a special place. It really is. I mean, I was I was uh, coming from little old Millersburg. I I it was a tough adjustment. I was homesick my first semester, yeah. uh, missed my friends. I had a great group of friends growing up. Um, but, you know, I think a lot of people go through that acclimated and um, uh, just loved it. And, and still my, you know, my closest cadre of friends is really my college. I my love college that buddies. word, cadre. <laughs> yeah. I could, being from Pecos, Texas, I could never come up with cadre. And go. if I did come up with it, I would say it wrong. Sure, <laughs> sure, yeah. <laughs> so you got a lot of close friends there. Were you? Do they have fraternities there or not? They have no fraternities okay. or sororities, but instead they really revolve um, life around the dorm. Okay. And you, I like that. You though. generally live in the same dorm all four okay. years. No and, way. And two thirds of the people who go to Notre Dame uh, stay in the stay on campus all four years. Stay in well, the dorm. You, the community then forms. Very, very much so. Um, you know, you have most of your social activities, lots of inter interhall sports and intramural sports yeah. around the door. And there's a lot of good athletes at Notre Dame who, oh, yeah. who aren't playing oh, yeah. on TV, yeah. but we're probably all conference in their conferences right. and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, so you really do. You, you, you get to know your and there's there. Every dorm has a chapel and every dorm has a rector. Where there's a priest who who, li- okay. who lives there, who's who's generally a priest who's um, pretty attuned to college kids. Yeah. you know they they know they have to give a little slack to, so to speak. Right, um, but they're there if if you if you need them. And uh, I remember Father Rich. My favorite story about him, our our hall rector, was one year I had a little hole in the window in our room. Put a work order in like you're supposed to do. Wouldn't get fixed. Wouldn't get fixed. Um, finally, I came to him. It was winter. It was cold. I said, Father Rich, you know, I've put this work order in a couple times and, and nobody will come and fix it. So he came and he looked at it. Next thing I know, he leaned over, taken off his shoe, 
bashed in the window. He said, well, now it's an emergency. <laughs> and so my window got fixed that day. Oh, that's a Very great nice. story. Yeah. Father Rich knew how to get it done, he did. Then, didn't he? Yeah. He did. Yeah. Yeah. That's so, awesome. So, so what'd you major in at Notre Dame? I majored in American studies. Okay. Still planning to become a journalist. All right. Um, they didn't have a journalism major, but American studies, um, I did, I worked on, um, I didn't work on the school paper, but I worked on a couple of magazines. I um, focused on history, literature, government, um, and um, uh, so pretty pure liberal yeah, arts type, liberal of, arts, yeah. type yeah. of um background. And did your dad ever say, "Son, what are you going to do with that degree?" No, you know, I think he, I think he was, he was pretty supportive. It's he, not of course, accounting. Of course, not. of course, my dad was an English literature and philosophy okay, major. Okay, so he understood. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, so there you go. Um, but uh, I had. Uh, Always had designs to, to be in journalism. Yeah. And in fact, when I graduated, I uh, came back to Millersburg and edited the weekly newspaper, the Holmes so County do, Farmer it, Hub. Do they still have that paper? Is it just a few years ago? It finally, after, after something like 175 years. It was a weekly wow. newspaper. Mm-hmm. And and you were the editor. I was the editor. Okay. We, we did had, you write columns too? Mm-hmm. I did. All right. We had uh, I think three full time reporters. Wow. We had some high school stringers. That's how I I did that all through high school and college too in the summers, and um, you know we didn't have a full time photographer. Mostly high school people. And we'd do you'd go to a store. You'd take your own pictures. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Um, and you 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 developed your own film and as the editor you'd go up and you'd go and up to Worcester it's owned by the Daily Record and you'd Oh you'd, the Daily Record the Dix family owned Dick's it. Family okay, owned it. all right. And you you um use their equipment machinery and you'd actually paste the the copy onto the newspaper page. And so you know you'd soup to nuts. It didn't sell ads. <laughs> Somebody else sold ads, but pretty much everything soup everything to else. Nuts. Yeah. Soup to nuts. That's a good one. Great, right there. great experience. Yeah. Great experience. So and we're going to kind of dovetail into into the yeah, the next career move here because that's going to take us to some of our discussion that we're going to talk about today, uh, uh, faith informing politics. But uh, so you're the journalism, but then you met Ralph Regula. I did. If, if we go back to that time period, I graduated from college in 1983, um, moved back to Holmes County. Uh, the decennial census. Uh, is is done basically, a, you know, was done in 1980, and the way that system works is starting at two years later. So actually, for the congressional term starting in 1983, they've shaken the dice and you have a slightly different yeah. district. This was the first time Ralph Regular represented Holmes County. So it was 1983. Called called his office and asked if I could, you know, interview him. You can interview so, him, yeah. So we could do a kind of a feature story on him. And, you know, they they had me go down to his farm in Navarre on a Saturday morning. And I remember spending several hours there. I, I was shocked. You know, I didn't had no idea. But he treated me, you know, it was like more like a friend than a than a important congressional type person. Um, and I remember taking pictures of him and his dog and all that and, and uh, did a big story for the paper. And he called me afterwards and said he liked it. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, and, and, and somewhere during the course of that conversation, I mentioned to him how much I enjoyed government politics okay and you know maybe someday down the line uh i'd be interested in in going to work for a congressional office and that just comment just kind of came and went in the course of several hours together um but apparently a seed was planted all right um because that would have been that would have been sometime in 83 um in late 84 i i uh went from the the weekly newspaper in Holmes County to the Daily Record in Worcester. Okay. I, got, I, I accepted a position as a reporter and assistant city editor and the political editor at the Daily Record. And after I was there about a year, uh, it was in 85, the end of 85, I uh, was there on a Saturday morning, heard a tap on the window, and, and I could see uh, Ralph Regula's. Oh, he um, came to admi- Worcester. Well, not Ralph himself, but his administrative okay, assistant right. was there. And said, hey, you want to go get a cup of coffee? And we went out and he said, you know what? We have an opening in our staff here in Canton. Um, do you have any interest? And um, 
I liked my job where I was th- then, but I thought, you know, this doesn't really, you know, these don't come around opportunities very often. don't grow no, on trees. No. And so I thought, well, I can always go back into journalism, but I'm maybe I'll give this a try. So I did. And I, I went to work um, for, for Ralph Regula in this district office. There were six employees the end of 85. And um, I felt like a fish out of water for a while. I, I thought, you know, I, Almost every place I've gone, adjusting to a job is kind of hard. Well, you, know, you, yeah. miss, you miss where you were and yeah. the comfort level and all that. But, but somewhere a few months in, uh, there was actually, a. I remember the, the point, there was a, a big deal at the time, the LTV Steel Company declared bankruptcy. And all of a sudden, thousands of people lost their health insurance benefits and were at risk for their pensions and things like that. And it was almost like the floodgates opened. There was legislation. There was steel was a big thing in the Canton area. It got really, really busy. Uh, shuttled down to Washington a few times for hearings, things like that. And um, and you know, I don't know that that was what clicked for me. And there's a lot of helping people, right. talking to individual people. Um, so then you started to feel more comfortable and and you're like, okay, I can do this Absolutely. and I feel good about being I did. yeah. I did. Good staff that worked in, in um in Canton and we we interacted with the people in Washington. And incidentally, one of the people in Washington on his staff at the time was a young woman from Maslin, Ohio, uh, who worked for him for a few years, went off to law school and eventually became the mayor of Chicago, Illinois. Is that right? Lori Lightfoot. You might okay. remember her, her name. She only served one term, but she's from Maslin. And Is she that got, right? She got her start working for, well, for it, Ralph. Once she the, just, just uh, recently, recently. the mayor. Yeah. Uh, yeah. She, she was mayor during some tough times. It's a tough, that's a oh, brutal job. Brutal job. That's tough. Yeah. So yeah. we know the environment we're in now politically. Uh, so divided, it's... Uh, the left from the uh, the left is extreme. The right is extreme. Well, you and I have talked about how the middle ground is just pretty much diminishing if it hasn't diminished already. But take us back to politics in the mid to late 80s and what that was like. Uh, and just kind of briefly fill us in on on what you saw and probably the best way to do that butch is just to tell a couple stories sure i mean that's what that's the best way to do it and i i remember the first time i um traveled to dc uh with uh congressman and mrs regula he they used to commute in this old white station wagon and i was riding down with them and and um he asked me hey while we're in while we're at the capitol is there anybody you'd like to meet and at the time, the Speaker of the House was Tip O'Neill, big, big and, personality. And we have, and most people that are going to be listening to this know that Ralph Regular was a he was Republican, a Republican, and was, Tip O'Neill was a liberal Democrat correct, from Massachusetts. Correct, yeah. and, and Ralph was a, what you call a moderate Republican. Okay. Um, and he said, "Well, I know Tip. You know, if we if we get a chance, um, we'll see what we can do." And you know, the next day we happened to be in the Capitol, and lo and behold, walking across is Tip. So you, you definitely recognized oh, it. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, big white shocked yeah. hair, the red nose, all yeah. that big guy. Yeah, and uh, uh, so so Ralph called him over and introduced me, and uh, Tip took my hand and wrapped his arm around me, and he he said, "Oh, you know what? I I I love your boss. I love Ralph. But let me tell you something." I like Mary even more, Mrs. Regula, he was referring to. And they were just joking around. And and I, I learned over time that um, uh, Ralph was one of a small handful of Republicans who would travel with Tip. The speaker would take um, uh, international trips, um, which I guess some people would call junkets, but they were they were always working visits right. where they'd meet with leaders from from other countries and they'd go to China, Australia, things like that. And he would usually take something like eight Democrats and four Republicans. And Ralph was his agriculture guy, okay, who could who could talk the talk. So he would he would bring him over with him. And and when the subject became agriculture, you know, Ralph he would turn it that over discussion. to Ralph. Yeah, so. Um, you know, there was a there was a camaraderie there. They didn't agree on a lot of issues, um, but they but they respected each other. And uh, that was kind of the, the that was kind of the potion of the day. People could disagree without being 
disagreeable yeah. in large part. Um, I would travel to DC, I don't know, two, three times a year. Um, and one of the e- events was always a, um, a fly in that, that Ralph sponsored the Canton area chamber of commerce would basically have, you know, 40, 50, 60 people from the Canton area who would fly down to Washington first flight in the morning. And, uh, Ralph would have a day of speakers lined up okay. and some day one, you know, one year it was at the Capitol. One year it was at the Supreme court and Sandra Day O'Connor took us around one day. It was at the Pentagon and, and, um, we met with secretary of defense, Casper Weinberger and his deputy William Howard Taft, the fourth. And, 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 you know, you, you got to, you got to see some pretty cool things and cool people. And in the Capitol itself, when we were there, the year we did it there, um, you know, you'd see Democrats and Republicans would take 15 minutes of their time and come into a little room and and meet with with Ralph's constituents and, and answer questions and talk about what they were had, whatever was going on. You'd see Bob Dole. You'd see Dan Rostenkowski, who yeah. was the chairman of the House Ways and Means Committee. Jim Wright was the speaker for, Jim for a Wright, while. Jim Wright, bushy eyebrow, Jim yep. Yep. From, from Texas, Texas. Texas. That's right, <laughs> um, and and many others. But but there was a there was a, um, a feeling there that uh, trying to get trying to get things done. Um, I read and and heard stories about that about those days, and a lot of it goes back even earlier than that in the fifties and sixties when when members whether they were Congressmen, women, or senators would stay over the weekend. They wouldn't be flying. Air travel wasn't as common. Right. They'd, mm-hmm. they'd live near each other. They'd have picnics in each other's backyards. Their kids would play together. And it, it didn't It didn't lead to the kind of vitriol that yeah. we often and, see and, on both sides well, today. And, I mean, obviously, we look for those examples of common ground. And so... You've got Democrats and Republicans finding that common ground, and really, that's how things got done. Absolutely, and you know the, the old saying, and I forget who who said it, but it's amazing how much can be done if you don't care who gets the credit for it. Yeah, mm-hmm. well, that's a great saying. Right. And you know, I I remember, um, you know, the Cuyahoga Valley National Recreation Area National Park is is one of the great legacies of of Ralph Regula. Yeah. Really, he 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 spent a lot of years. Um, helping secure the, the the funding needed for that, but he worked with with Democrats too, particularly from the Akron area. John Cyberling was one, yeah. And and one time, um, by virtue of his position on the Appropriations Committee, uh, Ralph was told, you know what, you can you can have the funding to choose the law school of your choice to endow a constitutional law chair. Yeah. Um, and that was the time of the bicentennial of the Constitution. Okay. It, and, and I think it was 1987. All right. Um, and uh, so there was a lot of focus on the Constitution. And there were three or four people who were told, you can, you can, you can start a constitutional law chair. So you choose what school... And 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 will appropriate the funds. So he called the University of Akron, dean of the school of law, and said, "How'd you like this?" And the guy said, "I'd I'd love it." And Ralph said, "Okay, I'll I will I'll secure this funding for you if you name the chair the John F. Cyberling chair of mm. constitutional after, law after his democratic, after his democratic colleague, colleague from from akron <laughs> see where this that's, is going butch that's awesome isn't it yeah he, so he didn't want the credit yeah he, he just he wanted the chair yeah and um so there was there was a lot of there was there was a lot of um there were certainly disagreements yeah um but there was a a, a much different spirit yeah at the and, time and before we kind of jump into where we're at today because i want to I want you and I to talk about that a little bit, and and Luke and I have talked about that that previous uh, session. Um, it's called episode, though, isn't it? Not session. Sessions would be therapy. <laughs> Ep- episodes are entertainment. <laughs> this is more fun than therapy. <laughs> You're right. Uh, did you then leave the position and then go to law school? What? How did that take I place? I actually went to law school while I was while you were working for working, Ralph. Franklin. I went at night. Okay, he All did right. that. He did that many years before, and my path was 
was unusual. And I'll, I'll step sideways for a minute okay. because um, uh, Kath and I were married in, I better get this right, 1987. And um, I, I had been working a couple of years for, for Ralph. Kathy was teaching. We um, decided that while we were young, before we had kids, we wanted to do something kind of completely yeah. different. And and uh, a couple of friends of mine from college had been involved in a um, program called Jesuit Volunteer Corps. Okay. In which young people take a year of their lives, kind of put everything else on hold, and go and live in community with other young people and work in social service agencies, living simply, living, you know, developing their own community, working on things like spirituality and simple lifestyle and social justice. And um, so we decided to do that. And I remember going to, to, to Ralph and telling him we wanted to do that. And um, he was surprised, but he said, he said, okay. And we kind of left it open whether whether Will I you would come back or not right yeah. yeah yeah and i originally thought i wasn't going to come back but roads take different turns and I, I wound up going back and saying yeah i would like to come back but i would like to go to law school at night which is which is what i did uh and went to law school and i'd love to talk more about that that jesuit volunteer experience but just continuing this story well um, i you know we, we We'll probably have you come back sometime sure. if you want to. Yeah, because that was a very impactful. Yeah, yeah I'm sure very that, impactful that really year. was. Yeah, and we'll, I want to hear more about that. But sure. like I said, we we can come back to that at another at sure. another at another session. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, mm -hmm. that's right. Sessions. <laughs> Episode for us. Session for him. <laughs> but I I um, started to uh, so I I thought okay, I love what I'm doing for for the for Congress, for Congressman Regula, but I'm, I'm, I'm way younger than Congressman Regula. So what am I going to do when it's time for him to retire? And one of the things I thought was there used to be a publication that came out with all these government job jobs that were available. And many of the good jobs required a law degree. So okay. I thought, well, I'll, I'll go to law school at night and I'll get my law degree and I'll probably stay in government. That was the plan. And the best laid plans don't, you know, oh, yeah. don't always work that way. Because what I found was I was one of those really rare people who really, really liked law school. Okay. Most people tell you they do not it's like law school. It's a grit and type thing. Yeah. yeah. Partly, probably partly because I was a little older. I was 30 okay. when, I, when I entered law school. Um, but I loved the intellectual exercise, uh, the give and take, uh, the thinking both sides of an issue. Um and, um, you know, when you, when you love something, you tend to do better in it. Right. And, and so I did better in law school than I did at any other academic level of my life. And, um, and so it became pretty clear to me that I, I didn't want to, I wanted to do something more with, with the law degree than, than stay in, right. in government. Um, so I, you know, a lot of, a lot of, as a footnote, I've been very fortunate in my career, but every time I've gone from one rung of the ladder to another, there's definitely two components. One is you need to be qualified. The other is you need to be fortunate. And a lot of times that's having somebody who's in your corner who can, right. who can back you up, who right. can speak for you. Right. And, you know, we can talk all we want for another day about equality and privilege and all that stuff. But you have, you know, it makes a big difference if you're going to, uh, climb the ladder to, to have people in your, in your corner. And a good example for me is when you, when you finish law school, if you do well, a plum job is working for a federal judge as a law clerk for a year okay. or two. Um, they're very hard jobs to get. And um, I was in a position where I could interview and have a shot at one, but uh, so were other highly qualified people. And, um, I remember when I interviewed with with uh, Judge Dowd in Akron, another one of my heroes. He told me you're you're the, you're the fourth person in your position in your class in various law schools that's interviewed for this job. So don't get your hopes up too high. Yeah. Well, a few days later, I call. I got a call and I got a job offer there. And I, I, I'm pretty sure 
the reason that I that I got it was because Judge Dowd knew Ralph, Ralph Regula, Regula. Yeah. And call I, I know and they talked and he and Ralph said, Yeah, he's a good guy. He he could do that job. And I did. I think I did a good job at it, but I, I fully acknowledge that you, yeah. you, you know, you you have to be, you know, it it, it a lot of life is networking and, and oh, connections yeah, and being is. fortunate. That's true. And there are people just as qualified as me probably who weren't, who didn't have those Right. Yeah, I understand that. Yeah. I mean, I can relate. And, and so you, you, ha- you just kind of have to acknowledge that, yeah, I think. absolutely. Um, and, and, and so I did. I worked for Judge Dowd for two years. Probably the most fun I've ever had in a job okay. was, was, was working in, in the federal court system. Yeah, that's um, it was just great re- experience for great, you. Great, great experience. And, and uh, then you ended up coming to Worcester. Yep. And, and, and again, Judge Dowd... Um, put in a good word for me at Critchfield. Yeah. I had I had clerked at Critchfield for a short for a few weeks between finishing law school and okay. starting my clerkship. All right. But he was the one. I probably wouldn't have gone to Critchfield without Judge Dowd uh, impressing upon me. Most people who clerked for him went to work at big law firms in Cleveland, yeah. Chicago, or someplace yeah. else. Um, but he would say. Uh, those people at Critchfield do just as good a work as those bigger firms. Yeah. And you, I think you probably have a little more of a, of a, of a life lifestyle, work life balance. And he was exactly right yeah. on both counts. Good move for you. Yeah. Very yeah. good move. Yeah. So I wound up, and, that's where I wound and you up. You retired from, last year. I did. I'm of counsel. Of so I counsel. do a little bit of work still. And I maintain some contacts with clients and I do some mentoring in the office, but my day to day law yeah. practice, I, I don't yeah. do that anymore. And our first part of, faith informing politics, I basically made the statement that I have to look to my faith to inform my politics. And then the author of my faith would be Jesus. And so we looked at the Sermon on the Mount and things like that. But I, I, I just want to kind of talk to you about where you are now in your, as far as politics is concerned how I think Ralph would be today. Right, yeah. And, you know, I, I did have the privilege of, of continuing to get to know, uh, continuing to know Ralph and Mary until they, they died. I worked with them and, and he worked with our, our firm on, on, on some, some personal, you know, estate planning and so forth, which he authorized me to, to say. Um, but, you know, as I'd say to him, you know, and, the, you know, this is probably in 2000, 12 2015 and he would shake his head and say i I don't know if i could do this in this in this climate yeah um because it it became you had to become it seemed like a lot more partisan um money became a very big driver and he was never a big fundraiser he's a guy who um almost his entire career never took never took pack money um, and um, he, it was, it would have been very hard for him to function as a highly partisan person. Yeah. The other thing is, he used, he was fond of saying, um, there's two types of elected officials down in Washington. There are workhorses and there are show horses. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, I'm a workhorse. I'm not a show horse. That's and, everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. That's true. But, you know, he served 36 years in Congress, which was longer than um, anybody ever served in in the U.S. House from Ohio. Um, Marcy Kaptur has since eclipsed that record. Okay. Um, But uh, he also was not a believer in term limits. He'd say there is a term limit. It's two years. Every two years I have to be on the ballot. Yeah. Now, I don't know if he'd change on that or not because of the inherent... monetary advantage that that incumbents, incumbents seem to have yeah. now um but it, you know it's definitely it's much much different now i think that um uh tv uh on both the liberal and conservative sides has quite a bit to do with that money has a lot to do with it um but there's just an absence of people in the middle yeah. in politics anymore. Yeah. Used to be there's a lot of overlap between Democrats and Republicans. They were, they were, uh, you know, conservative re- Democrats and more moderate Republicans. Right. There's a lot of overlap. Now there's a big open space. Yeah. The most 
liberal, Republican, if you will, is still to, far more conservative than the most conservative Democrat. I think right, I said that right. right. Mm-hmm. Um, and 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 so without that middle, it is it's harder to get to get things done. It seems that it, it seems that compromise, which has been the the grease that has wheeled the American experiment for 200 and some years, a great way to say it. it, is somehow now a considered uh, weakness, uh, caving, uh, you know, a dirty word. And, you know, it's just like a machine without oil. If you don't have an ability to compromise, it's very hard and to get the things tribalism done. that has developed is uh, has contributed to that extreme partisanship. And I mean, that common ground where it's just lacking. Now. Absolutely. I mean, it, it's very it's very hard. And, and it's it's the exception more than the rule. When you see people, you know, we, we've we recently had a, a long slew of weeks and weeks where there have been a, you know, a bipartisan group that's trying to work out an, uh, a, a border security package, right. and it looks like it's not going to go anywhere. Right. Again, the the people who are who are working to compromise are being um, ostracized right. by 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 their parties. It seems like it's a it's a zero sum game. There can't be any win win situations anymore. It's really a concern, and you know, I agree with you. I, I had uh, I had lunch Friday with a young a young man who um, asked to have lunch with me because he wants to go into politics. And, um, you know, I, with my background, I was just looking for some advice. Very, very impressive young man. And um, but I thought, you know, I used to have a lot more of those lunches. I just don't know that there's as much interest in going into it because do you really want to go into it? And ex- I know. Expo- you know, have to live that life. Uh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's more of a challenge. And so I hope and pray we'll get we'll get back to to some equilibrium that because the two party system is, is, I think, very important. It's core to the American experience. It is. It is. And as far as my own my own a working two party system. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And and where, you know, majority rules, but you get you get there by forging compromises. And and it's generally never good to see a bill uh, pass with, you know, strictly along party lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, And uh, so, you know, as far as far as I'm concerned, um, I I guess the older I get, the more I try to identify with, you know, um, my my. faith approach to politics is is kind of the golden rule yeah you know you 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 try to treat others right and i think it goes back to the to the you know what i what i believe are the 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 two big the two big commandments that that jesus gave was just was just to love the lord and to love your neighbor yeah. and and whether it's your 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 christian um or of some other religion or denomination there's a golden rule that is pretty pretty universal, mm-hmm. um, and um, I, I think that if you if you do it in a spirit of 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 um, caring, and you know what one of the things that's always kind of driven driven me and driven a lot of people I know is you know you're in the business world you have to you have to do business things you have to negotiate and fight hard and all that, but um, you can get to yes and you can get to success with with compromise and even if you have to deliver the tough message you do it with respect and dignity and and you know in the position that i've been in you have to do that sometimes whether it's at the office or whether it's on you know boards nonprofit boards things like that but um you, you just treat people the way you'd, you'd hope to be hope to be treated and how do we get there uh and and this is rhetorical because i'm going to answer the question that I just asked, I, I guess that question in my mind, I don't know if we're going to get there with how does the collective get there is what I'm saying, asking. But I don't think the collective gets there until Butch, Luke and Bob make a decision to live by that golden rule like you're talking about. And especially those people who wear the name of Christ. Or if they are a different religion, 
And that saying, that religion really teaches the golden rule. They may say it uh, a little bit differently, but that golden rule is there in all the great religions of the world. It always has been. And if we get back to that as people who are living according to those religions, in our case, the Christian faith, and get back to whose name we wear, the name of Christ, and live by that golden rule, then maybe from the inside out, it will will have some as as salt and light. We will have some influence, and then maybe a greater collective good will take place. That's where that's what I hold out hope for. What do you what are your thoughts well, on that? I, I I don't disagree with any anything you said, Butch. I think that um, where where I see us struggling now, myself included, um, is is. It's just communicating with people with whom you have a different viewpoint. People hold their views so um, strongly. And how many times, whether persons on the right or the left, have you heard somebody say, I don't know how somebody can think that way. Mm -hmm. And and I've I've thought it. Others think that of things I I think. I know everything else. I think that the the hard part and the part we have to figure out a way to do is is to communicate with each other yeah. and and i think the more you communicate the more you can maybe find some common ground you may not you may not agree ultimately but i think there are some shared values that are somewhere in there that you may think you are the exclusive owner of and the other side may think they are the exclusive owner of when you talk you might find you know that we both have we both have this and maybe we can learn something from the other guy and maybe we can help teach the other guy. I don't think that my, my, per, my personal approach is I don't think that banging my fist on the table, proselytizing, anything, anything like that is as effective as just trying to, trying to lead your life in a, in a good way. Again, I'll go back to my dad, maybe not spectacular things when he's 93 years old, but try to try to brighten up somebody's day try to listen to them um try to share with them what what you know what you have the older i get the more for some reason people kind of think i'm wise and that's kind of nice so that so they might they might um they may just by dint of the the thinness of your hair or something they they think that you may you know you may you may know a little bit more but you you I try not to be overbearing about it i just don't think you're gonna win arguments that way i agree with you and i think your point about you, you, we have to look for those opportunities to have the conversations, and the con and our and for me being someone who looked to at one time I looked to have a conversation so I could get my point across and get them to see it my way, but it's getting to know the people. It's getting to it's showing them that you care and then conversations just flows naturally out of that. Don't you think? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I had something that happened just over the weekend that kind of interested me. I had a, I had a text exchange with an old college friend of mine and we look at certain national political issues as opposite as you possibly can. And I think that for both of us, it's hard because we both, again, you, you, you cling to what you think is, is right. And so I think we took a time out for a day or so. And it just coincidentally, um, and I, I would say that my friend probably does a better job at trying to reach back than, than I do, to be honest with you. I, I struggle with that sometimes. But the next day I was looking through some old photographs and I found some photographs from me with this guy from 40 years ago. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I just sna- snapped them and, and sent them to him on my phone and, you know, total change of the subject, mm-hmm. but, you know, just kind of warmed things up again. Well, it was a reminder, yeah, a reminder of your relationship and that that's really what matters. Is it not? Right. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, so I think, and I, my personal view also is if everybody on all sides uh, and especially this applies to people of the, of the Christian faith that they try to stop and think about the old, you know, the old bracelet. What would Christ do yeah. in, in a situation exactly. like this? Or what would Christ exactly. say? They may wind up modifying their thoughts, uh, yeah. you know, uh, one way or the other. Yeah. 
Bob, we thank you for coming over. I, I, I mean, we're we're going to have you on again, okay? I'd, and, I'd love uh, to. And we've had a good time today and getting to know you better and and hearing about your experience and working in politics and then where you're at now and and uh, and we appreciate you being on. Well, thanks to both of you and and uh, blessings on your good work. All right. I look forward to to being on again and and watching some of your other podcasts. Right. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you, Bob. Mm-hmm.